Today's Old Testament reading comes from Psalms 8 and it can be found on page 546 of your church Bible. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you've established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under your feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Today's New Testament reading comes from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20, and it can be found on pages 1000 to 1001 of your church Bible. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, good morning. Before we listen to the explanation of the word together, let us come to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your word that we can hear you speak to us. We thank you that you give us your spirit to soften our hearts that we may receive your word and respond to you. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are with us every day. You help us to listen to the word of God and to respond in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Last Sunday, we celebrated Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And today is another celebration. Uh, we had the children's choir. We had the little circle here uh, in front. We had uh, the wonderful singing. We celebrate again. What do we celebrate today? Today is Trinity Sunday. Today we celebrate the Feast of the Holy Trinity. Now, this is a different type of feast from all other feasts in the church's liturgical calendar. Trinity Sunday centers on a doctrine of the church, 
rather than an event. All the other feasts celebrate events, but this one celebrates what we believe, a doctrine of the church. We celebrate the mystery of God's being as Holy Trinity. It's a day of adoration and praise of the one eternal and incomprehensible God. The Trinity is more than just a doctrine. In fact, the triune God is the basis of all we are and we do as Christians. Today's reading reminds us that we are baptized into the name of this triune God, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Through baptism, we have been placed into the sphere of this one God who revealed himself to us as three persons. And we have become members of the family of this triune God. We are the children of God the Father. We call out to him, Abba, Father. And we are the disciples of God the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We confess Jesus is Lord. We strive to obey everything he has commanded us to do. And we are filled with God the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit who enables us to shout, Abba, Father. And it's the Holy Spirit who enables us to confess Jesus is our Lord. As baptized people, our identity is rooted in the mighty acts of this triune God who created the world, who acts to save the world and to renew this world. In today's reading, the risen Son of God, Jesus Christ, he appears to his disciples. And he announces that God, the Father, has given him all authority in heaven and on earth. And he promises his enduring presence day by day, a presence mediated to us by the Holy Spirit. So here we see the Trinity in action. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, working for the salvation of all humanity. On the basis of this self-revelation of the triune God, on the basis of his authority and his presence with us, Jesus sends out his disciples. He gives us a task to perform. We heard that before, huh? a task. We all have a task. We have a, a puzzle to complete. Just putting two or three pieces together is not enough. We want to have the finished picture. We have a task to perform. He sends us to all the nations to make them disciples too. We are disciples and we make disciples. God's way is different from the world's way. He establishes his kingdom not by force of arms, not by sending in huge armies and arming them to the teeth, but through water and word. That's a strange way to establish a kingdom. Through water and word. Through water, the water of baptism. He sends us 
not to conquer, but to baptize the nations, to incorporate them, to invite them into the family of God, to bring, to bring them into the sphere of this triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he does it by word. He sends us not to conquer the nations, but to teach them. What Jesus has commanded us, we need to communicate to them. Through the cleansing water of baptism and by the transforming power of the word of God, the nations must be won over and turned into followers of the living God. Now, these words that we read this morning, that we heard this morning, the, the words of Jesus were his last words, the last words before he left this earth to return to the Father. In fact, different from the famous last words of other important historical people, Jesus spoke his last words twice. Once before he died. And then he said, it is finished. And then he said his last words again before he left this earth to go back to the Father. And then he said, make disciples of the nations. So, Jesus has completed his task. On the cross he said, it is finished, it is done. Our task has not been completed yet. Our task is unfinished to make disciples of the nations. What is the nature of this task that the triune God has given us? When I sent in the information for the sermon, I made a mistake, a typing mistake, typing too, too fast. And what arrived at the office was, my topic for today is the unfished task. So Bev wrote back to say, you probably mean the unfished, not the task. So I said, actually, it's the unfinished task. But we can't talk about the unfished, because that is the problem. <laughs> there are so many fish who have not been fished yet, and that is our task. So Jesus starts off by saying, not by sending us out, he starts off by saying first, all authority has been given to me. God has already given me all authority. And make no mistake, not just in heaven, where I'm going now, also on earth. What is authority? Authority is the power or the right to do things or to get things done. Uh, it's also having the final say. Uh, if as a parent you have authority, it means you have to say when your child is supposed to come home tonight. Authority is having the power to get things done, having the last say. We originally were slaves, but we've been set free. Actually, this freedom we have to understand correctly. We've been transformed to a new authority. Instead of being slaves to evil, we are now servants of the living God. Instead of being under the authority and the control of evil forces, we are now in God's hands. And Jesus, he now has the final word over our lives. That means authority. He has the last word also over my life. He has paid the price, his own life. 
He sacrificed himself so that we might have life. And that's why he has the authority. He has the last word. In 1 John 2, we read, he, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. We too easily stop at the first part. That's very nice. Jesus died for my sins. Hallelujah. But the verse goes on. Remember, he also died for the sins of the whole world. But many still do not know it. Many in this world do not know what Jesus has done for them. In fact, more than ever before, there are so many people in the world today who has not heard the gospel, who do not know who Jesus is. A huge number because of the huge population of the world. And if we just uh, look at some statistics, uh, I use Asian statistics because that's where we spend most of our lives. In China, after 100 years of missionary work, there was only 1 million Christians. Now, praise God, with conservative estimates, there are between 50 and 100 million Christians. But, that sounds very good, but there are 1,400 million Chinese. In Taiwan, 5% of the population are Christian, call themselves Christian. Anything from, from the, <laughs> the mainline churches to the absolute fringes, altogether just 5%. Japan, 1%. And Thailand, that's what Lydia also mentioned now, 0.1%. One out of every thousand people is a Christian. The task is big. And the task is not easy. Bringing the gospel to people is not something easily done because people do not exactly queue up to hear the gospel. We have in our times a revival of other religions. In 1910, the slogan still was the gospel to the world in our generation because the classical religions all seem to be on the downward way. They were all going down in their influence. Now, a hundred years later, we have a revival of the other religions. Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, all of them are uh, growing again, growing fast. Communism, we thought, ah, communism, that's gone. Communism is alive and kicking, and so is nationalism. And then... The problem is not so much atheism, that people don't believe that there is a God. The problem is carelessness. People just don't care anymore about God. They don't reckon with God anymore. They just ignore him. And even among Christians, even among those who actively follow Jesus, materialism has made such inroads that there are less and less people who are willing to dedicate their lives to serving God. That's why we have... All over the world, the shortage of people who come forward to be trained theologically to become pastors. We have a shortage of people who come forward to serve as missionaries. We have generally a shortage of people who are willing to serve the Lord full-time with all their life. That is just the way the world has, has turned. We live in a world which does not want to know God. Let's be honest about this. We live in a world which doesn't want to know God. Okay? 
But Jesus comes and he stands in the middle of this world and he says, this is my world. I have authority over this world. For this world I have suffered and I have died. For this world I have been resurrected. This world belongs to me. To me has been given all authority, not only in heaven, also on earth. Therefore, and now Jesus comes with his command, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Jesus exercises his authority over the world through people, through his disciples. His power is not brute force, but concrete love in the shape of personal relationships. He wants to win the world, but not by force, not by power, but through persuasion, through speaking, talking, witnessing, living an example. Backed by the authority given to him in heaven and on earth, he gives us the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is make disciples. That is the Great Commission, make disciples. That is the only main verb in this whole sentence that Jesus spoke. The rest are all participles. Tells us how to do this job. The job to be done is make disciples. And it's an imperative, it's a command. It's not an option that's available for a few uh, super enthusiastic Christians. It's a command to all of us. How do we make disciples of the nations? And Jesus explains that too by the three participles he uses here. By going, by baptizing, and by teaching. The first is by going. And then in the past we had a misunderstanding because that was the first word. Uh, we, all of us have heard this, go ye hence. Huh? That is the great commandment, go ye hence. But many of us go hence to exotic places to have holidays. Going hence does not fulfill the commandment. It is if we go hence and we make disciples, that is when we fulfill the commandment. But what Jesus says is that by going, as we go, on the go, on the way, on our way through life, we should be making people into disciples of Jesus. And we do this through our words, through our witnessing, through telling people what Jesus means to us. But we also do so through our life. And that may be the more effective method nowadays. Because we live in a time of word inflation. We are bombarded by words every day. What we need is not more words, but more example. More living of the truth. In uh, 1 Peter, we read, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Now, isn't that an interesting way to put it? He doesn't say, go and tell everybody they should become Christians. He says, live in such a way that people ask questions. How come you are so hopeful when the world is in such a mess? How come you are joyful when there's so much reason to be sad and to be upset? How come? And then he says, be ready to give an answer. Don't just go talking, wait for people to ask, and then you give them a good answer, a well-prepared answer about the hope that is in you, the hope given to you. Examples draw people. 
Be a disciple, and then you will make disciples. Our behavior at home, at work, among friends, facing difficulties, even facing the successes, the joys of life, our behavior, that draws people. Our lifestyle, how we live, our lifestyle shows what is really important to us. And our quality of life, that we can have lives of peace and joy in the midst of all the challenges that we face together with other people. As Christians, we don't have less problems or less challenges. In many parts of the world, as a Christian, you have more challenges and more problems than others. But we can have joy, we can have peace. That is a testimony to the Lord. And note, all of this happens on the way. Not by going hence to a faraway place, but just on our way through life. This is what God can do through us. So by going, we make disciples. Secondly, by baptizing them. Now, why this baptizing business? It's because just telling people about Jesus is not enough. We have to guide them to the point where they connect to a community, to a church, where they commit openly to the Lord. And that's what baptism means. Baptism means that it's not just something which I secretly have in my heart, but something which I openly confess to the world. I belong to this community of followers of Jesus. And we have to help people to get to that point. Not just to know who Jesus is, but to live in this community of people who follow Jesus. And then thirdly, by teaching them. And that's interesting. That is number three. <laughs> Often we start with the teaching. We want to tell people what to do and not to do. Teach them all the do's and don'ts. So their impression of what Christians are is, wow, these are people with a lot of don'ts in their lives. <laughs> that comes last because when we teach them, we should teach them, as Jesus said, everything I have commanded you. It is not us telling people how to live. It is us pointing people to what Jesus said. Jesus is the one who saved me, who gave his life for me, and he gives me these uh, uh, directions for my life. It's not a new law. In the Gospel of Matthew, everything, teach them everything I have taught you. Teach them to keep everything I've taught you. That is uh, the Sermon on the Mount in the main. And the Sermon on the Mount is not a new law. It is a way of life. A way of life that is worthy of the kingdom of God. Now, of course, the million dollar question is, well, who's supposed to do this? Who is sent, who is commanded to make disciples? Is it only super Christians? Is it only the ones who have attained a certain level of spirituality? Well, if we read this passage... We hear in verse 16 that 11 disciples came. That's already a red light. Where's number 12? I thought there were 12. Why is there only 11 all of a sudden? Well, because one of the 12 already betrayed Jesus and hanged himself. There's only 11 left. These disciples were often blind. Their responses to Jesus were often not very different from those of the Pharisees. They were often over hasty, especially Peter. Huh? 
always the first to step forward, and then once he stepped forward, he realized, I didn't really think carefully before I did this. Like uh, when he said to Jesus, can I go walking on the sea with you? Jesus said, sure, come and join me. And then once he was there and he looked around at the waves, he, he got a little scared. Huh? Um, rushing in without thinking, ambitious, Two brothers who come to Jesus quietly when the others were away shopping or whatever, preaching. Uh, uh, Jesus, is something we would personally like to ask you, uh, not where the others are there. C could we, between the two of us, divide left and right? The places left and right of you, the two most important places, but don't tell the others. Huh? Ambitious. And then when the crisis came, they all ran away, except for Peter who still stayed long enough to betray Jesus three times. And now after his resurrection, now things should be better, huh? Here are the 11 disciples, at least the bad apple is out, now it's only 11, but these are the good guys. They come and they worship Jesus, and they doubt it. Huh? We read it here. Some doubt it. Actually, if we go back to the original, it says, they worshiped, but they also doubted. They were not so sure about this resurrection business. These are the people who Jesus addressed with this great commandment. Go and make disciples. He does not choose ideal people. He chooses normal people. He chooses very normal people like these disciples, three years with, them, with him, and seems as if they hardly heard a thing. And Jesus still continues with them. He chooses these people as his instruments to go to the nations. They have to proclaim his authority over the whole world. They have to persuade all people and all nations to become followers of Jesus. So it means Jesus sends normal people like us, very normal Christians, to fulfill this task. There are only two conditions. The one is, be a disciple yourself. And the second one is, be willing to obey. Be willing to actually go. And then Jesus comes and he says... To put the crown on it all, just when these disciples there on the mountain, high, so they can see how big the world is, look around, wow, this is our job. How are we ever going to do this? At this point, Jesus says, I'm with you. This is the only way that it's possible to even face such a task. It's because of the presence of Jesus. I am with you, he says, every day, until the end of the age. And we know from Matthew 24 that the end of the age is when the commission will have been fulfilled, when the gospel will have been preached to the whole world, then Jesus will come again. So he says, until that day, until the task is completed, until all the unfished have been fished, until the puzzle is done, I'm with you. And this is our secret as Christians. We serve a very different Lord from the people we serve in the world. Normally, in the world, when your boss tells you to do something, you go on and get, you go and get on with the job, and the boss reads the newspaper or whatever uh, sits on his handphone and waits for you to report that you've done the job. But Jesus says, I sent you to do this impossible thing. And he says, wait before you go. I'm just getting my luggage. I'm coming with you. Jesus sends us, but he also comes with us. Through his spirit, he's with us while we do his work. He's with us 
carrying this full authority on heaven and earth. He says, I have all this authority, and with this authority, I'm accompanying you. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. That we had at the beginning of Matthew chapter 1, and yet at the last chapter, the whole gospel finishes with this God with us. He is God with us. And it's interesting, among Chinese Christians, if they write letters, they always finish the letter not with greetings and good wishes and whatever, yours sincerely. They always finish Immanuel, Emmanuel, God with us. And then you write your name. God is with us. That is our secret. Paul says, if God is with us, who can be against us? That's very good logic. If God is on our side, we're already in the majority. And he's with us all days. Every single day of my life, from getting up in the morning until going to bed in the evening, and even while we sleep. We're never alone again. As Christians, we are never alone again. I am with you every day. We only need to stay with him as he already is with us. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them will bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. So I must be ready to recognize and to accept his presence with me. To accept the implications of his presence in my life. I'm no longer in charge. If he's with me, it also means he's in charge. I have to follow him and go where he guides me. And that means, like one of the children here said, pray, huh? prayer, prayer. To be in constant conversation with God, to be in constant conversation with Jesus. As we go through the day, always be talking to him, listening to him. And that includes prayer for the nations. Not just always thinking of my own needs or my family's needs, but the needs of the world. It means my finances, what the Lord has put on my heart, I have to give for the work of his kingdom. It means to witness how I live, not just what I say. And it can mean my life concretely in the shape of full-time service. It's still needed to say, yes, here I am, and I will go where you sent me. And if you want to take me out of my normal living situation and out of my secular work, here I am. If you call me, I will commit myself. I will go. But we don't need to leave our secular work. Actually, in many cases, it's better to use our secular work, our normal work, to go and serve the Lord. Work overseas. Practically any sort of work can be done in an environment where no open preaching of the gospel is possible. You can go and work as an engineer in the Middle East. And you don't need to become a pastor. You can stay an engineer. Actually, if you become a pastor, you can't go there. Full stop. As an engineer, you can go there, live there, live as a disciple. And who knows what God can achieve through your presence there. We don't need to go and work overseas. We can just do our work here where we are and do it in such a way that people can see there is a hope in our lives. And through that, be discipled. The main point is 
that his great commission is still valid. It's not only for others, it's for us, it's for me. He wants to use us to announce his rule, his liberation from sin, his authority our people's lives. And he gives us his promise, I'm with you. With all the power and authority in heaven and on earth, until the task is completed, until I come again. In conclusion, today is Trinity Sunday. And celebrating Trinity Sunday, let us remember that every Lord's Day, every Sunday, should actually be consecrated to the triune God. On Sunday, the first day of the week, God the Father began his creation. On Sunday, the first day of the week, God raised his son, our Lord Jesus, from the grave. And on Sunday, the first day of the week, God sent his Holy Spirit to fill the newly born church. Every first day of the week, every Sunday is special, is a celebration. Every Sunday is a day of the Holy Trinity. Every Sunday, Sunday reminds us how amazing our God is. So, let's go forward with courage, eager to fulfill the task set to us by this triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And may he give us joy in being his disciples and equip us to make disciples of the people he sends on our way. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you have taken the initiative to come and seek us. You have come to us through creation, through the death of our Lord on the cross, and through Pentecost. You have come to us in various ways to renew us, to give us life in all its fullness. And Lord, this life we want to commit to you. We pray that you use us to complete the task you've set us, to make disciples of all nations. Lord, we know that this is a huge task, but we also know that you are greater than everything in the world. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to our Lord Jesus, and he is with us every day. Give us courage, Lord, to live as people belonging to the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.